Welcome to another faith-building message by Pastor Phil Pringle, leader of C3 Church. For more information about Phil and C3, please visit myc3church.net. Fantastic. All right. Uh, we're on a uh, journey through the book of Philippians, Foundations of Philippians. And today we're going to be talking about this one thing. There are a lot of messages we could talk about out of the book of Philippians. Last week we did uh, Philippians 4.19, which is my God shall supply and look after you. And so there's a lot of really helpful messages that come out of this book written by Paul when he was in a prison to a church called the Philippian church. They were Macedonians in in Europe in that time. And uh, he was in a prison in Rome and uh, he was writing a lot of his letters out of those prisons. I mean, we may think that some tough times we have in life uh, are really difficult and, and hard, but out of them can come things that are enduring, like the letters of Paul, for goodness sake. They're the most enduring part of his entire life. And so let me pray as we come around this Scripture. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that You'll anoint this Word to our hearts and help us find pathways to live on in Jesus' Name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you very much. All right, this Scripture starts in Philippians 3 verse 13. And he says here, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So this is about us having a one thing life. Let me say this. uh, Let's all say this together. But this one thing I do. Can you say that? Let's say it again with attitude. But this one thing I do. You know, there there is a temptation in the world in which we live to, to be distracted on a thousand and one different counts. This thing here, this phone, it is responsible for 25% of the accidents on our roads right now because people are texting while they're, while they're driving. It accounts for 77% of truck accidents, which is spooky when you think you're driving down a freeway and dear old Bob or whatever is texting away and saying, hey, lady, I'll be home in 10 minutes. And uh, boom, that, that thing's huge. But it's not just for ourselves, it's for others in our lives. The distraction is a, a major problem that we live with, every one of us in, a, in the kind of world we have. Uh, this, this thing is like, it can be Lord phone in your life. It, it, it beeps, it clacks, it burrs, it vibrates, it dings and all these kind of things. And you reach out for it because it's like, it's the urgent. It's not the important, but it's the urgent. And we, when, as long as we are allowing ourselves to be dominated by the urgent and not the important, we will constantly be living just half a life. Because as long as we are, try, as we are distracted, our, our mind is never going to be fully on what we're involved in. It's a known fact that around about 25% of do their, people do 25% of their emails in church. The other part of that story is that 90% of statistics are made up on the spot. But I know it's a, it's a really large amount of people doing emails and texting and they're pretending they're taking notes, and, but you're never actually getting it. And, and, and Jesus gives four kinds of ground that the seed falls on. And one of them is casual ground, 
falls on the hard ground, the devil just takes it away. It never actually has an impact because we're distracted. We're just hearing it casually and thinking that hearing it as information is enough, but actually you need your heart engaged as well. And the head moves quickly, but the heart moves slowly. And so your head might be bouncing along and skimming over all kinds of information in life and your heart is vacant. It's got a vacuum in it, it's empty. And you're wondering why you're bored in life or why you're feeling this, this, this aping, gaping hole on the inside of you that really needs some level of satisfaction. And that's because it takes time for the heart to catch up. If you're at a dinner table and you're all just texting, nobody's ever gonna touch hearts across that table. And all of us have been to restaurants where you see people, all they're doing is texting or in the movies and people are just texting, trying to watch the movie, trying to watch the movie and never actually watching the movie or doing the text properly. Multitasking is a myth, people. Thinking that you're gonna, you're gonna do a whole lot of things imperfectly or not properly. And, and you, you, there needs to come a day when we commit ourselves to one thing. But we all suffer with a, with a big problem called hashtag FOMO. Fear of missing out. If I marry this one person, well, think of all the others I might miss out on. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Sometimes people use that, they'll put God in that equation as well. It's like, well, what if she's not the right one? What if he's not the right one? As though there's only one person in the world you could ever be married to. Well, that isn't true. Some people I know have been married to three right ones. Amen. Or, I mean, which one was the right one? Or, or after a person's passed away, they've remarried. No, there's, there'll be a thousands and thousands of people that you could possibly do life with and it'd be wonderful. Because it's not all about personality, it's about principles. And if you implement the right kind of principles into any relationship, it'll work. And you can make it work. So if you, if you, yeah, okay, go ahead. Yeah, just to say that we are no longer compatible. Well, make yourself compatible. Stop being so grumpy in the morning. <laughs> Somebody said, do you, when you wake up in the morning, do you wake up grumpy? And she said, no, I let him get up a little later on. Because <laughs> there's, there's all kinds of things that you can do, but it means a selfless or an unselfish level of sacrifice. And not a lot of people are prepared to do that for a relationship, to give up their needs and their desires and their want for the other. But that's what marriage is. That's just one of those little principles. Let's not go down there because that's it's Sunday morning. We want to stay happy, right? Yeah. But the, the thing is, the distraction of thinking that there are a multitude of options in our life, knowing that there are a multitude of options in our life, can keep you from committing to one thing. You bring a person from a third world country and put them in Woolworths and say, choose which kind of milk you want this morning. Like it's overwhelming. I find it overwhelming, but that's just the milk. Then you gotta go to the butter. What kind of butter are you gonna have? And then you go to the bacon. Well, what kind of bacon are you gonna have? I mean, the stuff with rind on it, the stuff that's lean, or the stuff that's, you know, thinly cut, thickly cut. I, I mean, this, we're just spoiled for choice, but every time you, you gotta go through these decisions and that adds another little layer of stress on you because of the, the million and one options you've got and, and the need to make these decisions. These things are not just dangerous on their own, like as a distraction, but it's what's in there. And the fear of missing out 
FOMO works in that world too, because man, there might be some, something I've missed out on, on on Facebook or it might be some other person I'm not talking to or how many likes did I get? Or, and we're looking all over. It's an inane world. There's, there's often not a lot of meaning to it. You can be flicking through that, swiping, swiping, swiping. You can spend an hour doing that and nothing's happened. Zero, you just wasted an hour when you could have been educating yourself, furthering some area in your life. Staying away from the distractions. So Paul's saying, this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind me, putting aside, learning how to discard and declutter. Discarding things can be difficult. Decluttering can be difficult. People don't like to declutter. They've got things in the garage that you might use one day. It's only been there for 43 years. It's out of date now. There's no plugs that go into it. Oh, for spare parts. No, you got no spare parts. Just throw it out. I can't throw it out. It's been around now so long. I've grown attached to it. Throw it out. It's cluttering your head up. It's cluttering your garage up. All those clothes that you're keeping because you know one day you're gonna lose the weight and be able to put them on again. (laughs) Throw them out. You know, like just, well, you know, whatever. I won't go there. The, the thing is, there, there's stuff that you don't wear. I read somewhere recently where a person said, the way to declutter is pick up things, pieces of clothing, and if it gives you no joy, throw it out. If I did that, I'd probably turn up here in my underpants or something. And I was like, <laughs> I don't get a lot of kicks out of my clothes at all. It's just, you know, put them on. And, but, but decluttering... Stop those visuals. Stop it now. (laughs) I know, it's impressive. Yeah, decluttering. (laughs) This one thing I do. You you have to prioritise. What are you going to give your life to? God has given you a call and just because He's given you a call doesn't mean it's going to happen. You could get distracted on the way. You could get derailed from your purpose. And I've seen, I've seen many, many people do that. Not long ago, uh, maybe, maybe oh, 10 years ago, uh, a good friend of mine who was a pastor, going through Facebook, inside this, this thing is all kinds of worlds that you should have boundaries on. He's going through Facebook and an old flame, an old girlfriend says, hey, you wanna meet? Nice to hear from you. He, he replied and answered, yeah, let's, get together. And he, he said his hand hovered over that send button for an hour. But eventually, bang, sent it and lost the marriage, lost ministry, regained that relationship. And the point is, you got to have some boundaries inside this thing. You need borders. Boundaries are extremely important because these days, there's not a lot of laws that can keep you or be enforced or hold you accountable. Outside there is, but inside here, there's all kinds of things you can get away with, but you're not really getting away with it because everything you feed on there goes into your soul and causes a decay and a collapsing and a corruption on the inside. It's like an an apple decaying from within. And, And there really needs to be a border and a control on what you allow yourself to look at inside there. And and I know this might touch some nerves in in your world, but honestly, you need to understand that pornography 
is viewed more than Twitter, Instagram and Facebook combined in the world today. Gambling is the second highest uh, thing that is visited on the internet between pornography and gambling. Those things dominate. And part of you saying I'm gonna be a follower of Jesus is that you make a private commitment to certain pathways, to having certain boundaries in your life. Not because you can get away with it now, you, you, you need it for yourself and for your own heart's sake and your conscience sake before God. It will erode all your confidence, start to destroy the view that you have of life, start to disturb things on the inside that need to be at peace and need to be calm so that your emotional health stays strong and your mental health stays strong. You don't wanna do things and invite things because we only are what we eat, people. Distraction in the Concise Oxford Dictionary says to prevent somebody from concentrating on something. It's also used to describe a person who is insane or mad, a distracted person. Distraction is chasing two rabbits. You catch none. You're after two things all the time. You can't catch either of them. The lesson is chase one thing. And you and I have got that in front of us when we read that, that letter by Paul saying, Get yourself down to the essential, the priorities, those things that are high value in your life and say, this is the way I'm gonna go. You won't hear a message too much like this in, in, in a newspaper or in media. It's because they are counting on you to be distracted. They are trying to feed your distraction by keeping you involved in as many different things in this life as possible. But when you come to Jesus, He says, listen, the, the way of life is narrow. The road to destruction is broad. You can do anything you like on the road to destruction, but the road to life is where you put some disciplines on your life, where you say, I'm gonna live this life. Now we live in a world where often we hear a message that's kind of hyper grace. Like, oh, you can do anything. God's grace is gonna cover you and you're gonna be okay. Listen to me. Jesus said, the way to life is narrow. You need boundaries on that pathway, some disciplines. That's not legalism, that's called discipline. That's called the way of life. Don't be thinking, yeah, I can do whatever I like and I'm gonna get away with you. You won't, the consequences will live inside of you. I'm not trying to scare you, I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to, trying to bring any, any you know, kind of hellfire brimstone message down. All I'm trying to do is say, listen to me, there are borders and boundaries that every one of us need to have in our lives if we are to stay safe. That's why you stay on the left side of the road. You might say, oh, I can drive on any side of the road. Well, you do, there'll be consequences. And then you can't go down to the Minister of Roads and Transport and say, hey, how come I had an accident? He said, well, there were rules. Yeah, I can do what I want, can't I? And he said, no, 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 there will be consequences. There will be crashes, there'll be accidents if we don't stay within certain lanes, certain boundaries in our life. And that can be a hard thing because we've got this problem with FOMO. I'm gonna miss out on something else I could be doing. Man, all these things that I could be doing. It's not a new problem. It's a problem that Adam had. When, when God said to him, you're gonna have all these trees in the garden, Adam, except this one. That's my tithe. I want you to, that's just mine, okay? Don't take that one. Well, the devil came to Adam and says, oh, God's told you you can't have every tree, right? Well, how, how twisted is that? He didn't say you can't have every tree. He said you can have every tree except this one. But the devil loves to give a picture of God that he's this, party pooper. He is the heavenly killjoy. The divine wet blanket has turned up, just wants to make everybody miserable. You can't have anything. He said, you can have everything except this one thing here. And so he was fearful of missing out. And it's a normal human condition. 
Like if I said to you, okay, guys, this room, you can go anywhere you like. It's all yours, except just behind that sort of little barrier over there. Please don't go there. You can't go there. Well, if I walk out of the room, everybody in the room is gonna rush around to see what I'm holding out on you with. Why, why can't we? Why can't we have what we're not meant to have? It's just that human thing. If you see a thing that says wet paint, don't touch. <laughs> what is that? It's like the, 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 as soon as there's this Lord, it arouses something on the inside of us to wanna do what we're not meant to do. Forbidden fruit tastes sweeter, it seems. But there has gotta come a point where you live by principles and not by feelings, where you decide I'm gonna live right and make sure that I'm discarding the unessential. There's a, a author called Greg McCown and he writes about essentialism. He says, the way of an essentialist, this is a person who says, I'm gonna do the essentials. I'm gonna do the important, not the urgent. He says, the way of the essentialist means living by design, not by default. Instead of making choices reactively, the essentialist deliberately distinguishes the vital few from the trivial many eliminates the non-essentials and then removes obstacles so the essential things have clear, smooth passage. In other words, essentialism is a disciplined, systematic approach for determining where our highest point of contribution lies, then making execution of those things almost effortless. You've got to learn to be able to say no in your life. You can't be available for everybody for everything. I've heard, sometimes I've heard preaching that just exhausts me because it goes like, all of us have to do all we can, all the time to everybody and reach everyone throughout the entire world. I go, yeah, I, I kind of agree with that, but please, I can't pick that up. That'll kill me on the first day. All of us have got a part to do. And as long as you do your part, as long as your wheel is turning, the other wheels will turn. But if you're trying to be this wheel, that wheel, that wheel, that, I mean, if I'm on a volleyball, you know when you're playing beach volleyball? I'm, I, I'm so competitive. I so badly want to win. I just about play everybody's part in the whole team. I run over here, bounce, bounce. I hit it to myself and bounce, you know, like, which you're not allowed to do. But I, I got to discipline myself. Say, hey, you can't be every part on the team. There's a whole team here. So just pass it over to them. Let them do their part. And everybody, if we get committed to being positioning ourselves, where we're meant to be, what we're meant to be doing, we are gonna find ourselves staying on the course. Staying on the course in Jesus' Name. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. When I first got born again, I had studied at the Island School of Fine Arts in Canterbury in the South Island of New Zealand. I was gonna be an artist. And as soon as I met Jesus at age 19 and a half, it seemed like art just disappeared from my life, went out of my heart, it was no longer a passion, no longer in my thinking or in my heart. For 25 years, I didn't hardly do anything. Scribbled a few pictures here and there, maybe a couple little paintings, but never serious. Then one day, it was like it resurfaced. God gave it back to me. I saw a painting I should paint, so I painted it. And it sold remarkably. And so I did the same one again and it sold again. I did the same one again and it sold again. I couldn't believe it. I thought. Maybe I should do another kind of painting though, instead of keep on, on doing this one painting. And so I did and it worked. And then about 10 years ago, maybe, maybe yeah, 10, 12 years ago, I was asked to be part of an Australian submission 
of art to China. So there's gonna be this big expo and Australian artists were gonna be part of this, the culture of Australia or the art of Australia. And I was gonna do 25 paintings and uh, there was, I could sell them if I wished and I saw that would be kind of a tidy amount and help me with my building fund, of course. And, uh, and so I, I started taking photos, doing notes and I, it, it, it started to get a hold of my thinking. And I would be preaching here and art was never a big part of my, my Christian life. It's just been there, not even in my vision. But it started to come around here and started to be on my mind. Even while I'd be up here preaching, I'd have this other piece of my thing. I'd be thinking, yeah, that'd be a good colour. That'd be another. And my brain's ticking away and I'm saying, what are you doing? I want to give myself wholly to what I'm doing here. I love these people too much to give them just a, poor, a part of me, a, a portion that, and while I'm distracted over here doing this, I don't want to turn up at church and think, oh yeah, I can't wait to get out of here to get back to do some painting. You know, I mean, I, every time I'm in here, I just want everything to go longer. As soon as Sunday's finished, I want to do it again. And I think, let's, let's just give our hearts. And so I found I had to repent from that. I had to say, I, well, I won't be involved. I let it go. There's no price that you should not be prepared to pay to get a singularity of vision because you will focus your fire. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap offering Him. The sun has 24,000 degrees centigrade on its surface. It bathes the earth in light and warmth every day, but you will not get fire from that degree of heat even there unless you hold a magnifying glass over something. And once you focus that magnifying glass, it will work. But if you've got that magnifying glass, you go, okay, I'm gonna focus on this and then that and that and that. And you keep shifting it around, it still won't work. You have to hold it for a prolonged period of time so that that concentrated effort will eventually bring it into fire. A lot of us talk about breakthrough. Like we'd say, whoa, we got the breakthrough. And that's true we get a breakthrough, but it's because before the breakthrough, before the moment of breakthrough where the wall collapses and you get through there, you have been going at that wall maybe for years before that time. When you've got your pneumatic hammer, your pneumatic drill, and you've got a concrete wall there, and you go bang, 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 against the wall, nothing's happening seemingly. But every time you bang that wall like that, it weakens a little bit. It might be just a fraction, just a little crack, just a little crack here and there. And you might be doing that for a year, trying to give up that habit, trying to get over that addiction. Bang, bang, bang. You fight, but you fail. You fight, then you fail. You fight, but you fail. You need to know that failure doesn't make you a failure. It just means that you have one more step towards breaking down that wall. You might have lost a battle, but you haven't lost the war until you give up fighting. And so as long as you keep banging that pneumatic drill against the wall, bang, 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 bang. Then it comes a day, maybe five years later, boom. And you've, you've paid off your mortgage. You've paid off your credit card debt. You've, you kept on going at it. You didn't give up, but eventually, bang, you get a breakthrough. A breakthrough is the result of success after a prolonged application of concentrated, focused effort on one thing. And that's how you'll achieve it. Not by running around from one thing to another, 
trying to accomplish, thinking, I'm gonna do so many things. There is a myth in the world called multitasking, for goodness sake. That's how you're gonna do a whole lot of things half baked. That's the word I was looking for. Another word popped in my mind, but I'm in church, Jesus' Name, Amen. I want you to come with me to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 34. It says, serve the Lord without distraction. It says a verse, the next verse, but Martha, uh, Luke 10, 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached Him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. One thing is needed, is essential, is necessary. That's being in the house of God and worshipping Him. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. How amazing is that? Jesus said that one thing, the musicians can come right now. Martha was distracted with so much serving. When people have... A, an overwork ethic. I'm, I'm a hard worker. I work as hard as I can, but there comes a point where you need to rest and come apart before you come apart. And so rest is as important as working. And there comes that moment where you, you've got to have a break. But there's also a point where you need to be able to say no. And that's not easy. It takes a bit of courage. A lot of people can't say no. They just say yes to everybody. Can you bake a cake? Can you come around and look after the kids? Can you feed my dog? Can, can you look after that? Can you do this? Can you do that? And they, they're nervous about the relationship, that it's gonna put strain on the good feelings between you. Well, it shouldn't. If we're good friends, we should be able to say, no, I can't. And we should have the courage to do that, to protect our world and those things. Martha couldn't. She couldn't say no. She was distracted with much serving and it gave her an attitude. Gave her an attitude about all the others who weren't working as hard as she is. And it's a difficult position when you're working hard and there's somebody else just sitting on a couch playing a guitar going, praise the Lord. You're working, you feel that you are more justified in what you're doing than that person. You think this is, this is more important, doing stuff, task orientation. And then she does this terrible thing where she, she says, Jesus, you don't care about me because you're not making, you're not giving, I'm serving alone. She's got self-pity, I'm alone. Then she does this thing where she says, God, make her help me. You ever try to manipulate God to manipulate another person? He just doesn't answer those prayers. The way He answers it is horrific. He says, no, listen, Martha, Martha, Philip, Philip, Glenn, Glenn, I want you to change. Me, I'm the one doing all the hard work. What about her sitting around with the guitar? Praise you, Jesus, you know, all this stuff. I'm the one doing all the hard stuff. He says, she's chosen that good part. To be in the house of God, to be worshipping, and that's necessary. That's needful because out of that comes energy, wisdom, counsel, guidance, everything you need to accomplish what God has called you to do in what the Message Bible calls the unforced rhythms of grace. And it's a beautiful thing when you start walking with Christ and you realise He's called you to a singularity of purpose and a life with an easy burden. 
Not that you're lazy, not that you're complacent, but that you have a thing called contentment, which is happiness on the inside of you about doing this great call of God He's called you to do. Let's all stand as we come to a close. Heavenly Father, I thank You for the privilege of Your mighty Word entering our hearts and helping us in life so that we'll accomplish all the things You've called us to do. Maybe you're here for the first time today and the service is a little new to you. You might not have been in a church like this before. You may have. But it's so important that you ask Christ to come into your life. Above all the other one things in our life, this is the one thing that every person must do. And that's ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and to be your Saviour. If you've never done that, in a couple of seconds, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand while every eye is closed. And we're gonna pray for you before the end of the service. Just gonna, not gonna ask you to do anything like come down the front or anything. Just gonna pray for you. If you've been away from God, I want you to come back. And I want you also to raise your hand. If you're not sure you're going to heaven, please also raise your hand. So if that's you right now, you're here for the first time, second time, you've never asked Jesus into your life or you're just coming back to Christ, or you wanna make sure you're going to heaven right now, would you put your hand up high? Just raise it high for me so I can see. Thank you. Who else is there? Just raise it high so that I can see. Thank you. Who else is there? Just raise it up and I'll pray for you. We'll pray together at the end of the service. Thank you, I see your hand also. Thank you, I see your hand also. Who else is there? Just raise your hand. Say, that's me. Thank you, sir. Who else is there? Any more at all? Would you raise your hand quickly before we pray? I just want you to make one little step of faith. If there's one more person, thank you, I see your hand. God bless you. Thank you. Who else is there? I'll wait another couple seconds for anybody else. Just quickly raise your hand. I want you to make sure that you pray this prayer after me to God right now. Let's all pray this together. Dear God in heaven, I ask Jesus Christ into my life. I ask to be born again. Cleanse me from sin. Make me your child. Help me follow you. Thank you, God. Amen. Lord, I pray for peace in every heart here and the ability and the courage to create boundaries in our life, the courage to limit ourselves to those things that we know are essential and important, not be distracted by what might be urgent or vain pursuits. Dear God, put Your blessing on our people today. In Jesus' Name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you, saints. Thanks for listening. You can order any of Pastor Phil's resources at philpringle.com or at c3store.com. We are always encouraged to hear the stories of great decisions you have made and the great things God is doing in your life. So if you have a story to share or if you have a prayer request, please email us at podcast at myc3church.net.